Evening all. It's great, it's great to have the, the testimonies earlier and um, to hear what God's doing. There's some great stories from the, uh, from the healing conference as well of that story of, I think, be, you know, being set free emotionally as well. That's wonderful. And we believe that with God all things are possible, that every illness bows before the name of Jesus. That includes mental illness. That includes anxiety, that includes depression, that includes all things. And, our, and our, great, our great joy, actually, as the Eastgate family is, is to see people walking free and to see people stepping in to all that God has called for them. Uh, you've seen that with the school as well. That's one of our core values. The actual fact is that our security rests in the presence of Jesus and of knowing that we are his and knowing we, that's where we belong. And uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about faith and peace, um, but thought I'd share a couple of other testimonies as well. We've got teams out on mission this week, and uh, it's great to share in the, in the stories of victory of, of others and the breakthrough that other people have seen. Um, would you like to hear a couple of texts from mission team? Yeah. Yes, you would text from my dad on Friday night. He was rejoicing in someone else's victory. Would you care to hear what that was? This is the exact text I got from my dad. I am rejoicing with West Ham. (laughs) To put that in context, dad and me, we don't support West Ham, but West Ham were playing Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham are the closest rivals in the league currently, and a defeat for Tottenham uh, would make it that much easier for our team Chelsea to win the league. Now, Dad is, uh, is, uh, portrays himself as too spiritual to rejoice in someone else's defeat. Um, and so he will always say that he is rejoicing with the other team that has defeated Tottenham. So he aligned himself with the victory of West Ham, and, uh, and that's where he went with that. But if you'd like a genuine text of actual breakthrough on mission, um, here's the next, here's the next one. Is it mission in Inverness. Here we go. Mission going well. I like the simplicity there. Prayed for a man with metastatic esophageal cancer last night, and today he is reporting no pain. That's good news. <laughs> That's great news. Also, homeless man prayed for on the streets yesterday, and today telling everyone his wrist pain is completely gone, thanks to the faith healers. (laughs) That's great. We need to redeem that phrase. (laughs) Faith healers, for too long that's had the reputation of some hokey-cokey nonsense and some overly superstition, some, some negative spirituality. We're the genuine faith healers. We come in faith, and because, that's our, because uh, our power rests in the object of that faith, which is Jesus, and we proclaim, I love that, people, you know, it is healing by faith, it is life by faith. We're saved by faith, it's very simple, a Christian life, live by faith, faith gives us relationship through Christ, it enables us to live powerfully through God, and it also brings us peace. And tonight, that's one of the things I want to be uh, talking at and looking at this combination, at the peace that we experience through our faith. If you turn with me to Romans 4, 
verse 16. It would be through to 5 verse 2. Sorry, I would said 5 verse 1. And it was 5 verse 2. Story of Abraham. Obviously a, a man keenly associated with faith and a, an amazing story of faith and a template for us. And I'll read from uh, verse 16 of chapter 4 through to 5 verse 2. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And I want to be talking about the the peace that our faith brings, primarily three areas tonight, peace with God, peace through adversity, and also peace in our purpose, trusting in God's promises. We are to be a people that are fully persuaded that he can do all that he had promised. So, Abraham is the father of us all. How does that work? How does uh, a nomadic farmer from about 3,000 years ago, how is he our father? Well, as I say, it's a template. His, His faith laid the path for us to follow in, declaring that one day Jesus would usher in salvation, not by works, but by faith. He is our father in that we follow in his footsteps, that that through him a way to enter relationship with God was declared. We are therefore children of Abraham because we live by faith. And this is both proclaimed in this passage and also in a well-known hymn, which I hope you'll be familiar with. I checked this with a few people earlier. You know the hymn? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right on, Father Abraham. No, we won't. (laughs) I grew up with that song. I hope some of you did. There's different stages of appreciating that song if you grow up Christian. Stage one is loving it because you get to dance around. Stage two is being confused because your dad's name is Pete, not Abraham. (laughs) Stage three is reading the story of Abraham and thinking, well, Abraham had two sons. I think that's a bit presumptuous to call that many. Stage four is working out that the sons might not be literal flesh and blood. And then stage five is, as a teenager, singing it on your way to a youth mission because you believe that now at 16 years old you can be retro by singing that song. 
And so, and then, so I had it in my childhood. Um, and then, uh, actually, at this church, age 18, I went for Eastbourne in a gap year. I went to university. And I didn't come across it in my church there, but I came across it in a, in a non-Christian uh, setting, actually. It was interesting. I played for Southampton University Ultimate Frisbee Team, a, a sport which I highly commend to you. Uh, look it on YouTube. It's great. <laughs> um, and in a student tournament for Ultimate Frisbee, after each game, uh, the teams get together. Each captain says thank you to the other team for the game. And then... Each team will then either do some form of small, silly game or a song with the other team that they get them to join in with. I was playing a tournament. We played another team. And then they said, right, we'll teach you a song. And no kidding, a non-Christian Frisbee team started singing, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. But the interesting thing is they had then a different verse for this, the, 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 uh, the idea they had was, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and they didn't drink, and they didn't smoke, and all they did was go like this right arm. Isn't that sad? And it's interesting that how sometimes the world thinks that the standard is actually abstinence from certain behaviours. Their view of sons of Abraham, i.e. Christians, was that we're defined by things that we don't do. And there's no understanding there of true sonship. There's an impression of legalism, there's a rule following, and we have to correct this. We have to proclaim that true sons of Abraham are justified by faith, and that they walk in relationship with God, and that they enjoy the promises of God, and the purposes of God, and they get an adventure with God. And it doesn't matter if they drink or smoke. What matters is their faith, and actually the object of that faith, uh, who is Jesus, who they place their faith in. I see a few of you muttering, what do you mean it doesn't matter if they drink or smoke? I'm not saying that our behavior doesn't matter, but it's not how we're saved, and that's not the message that we proclaim. And also, we do need to be a little bit uh, less hypocritical about behaviors as well. I mean, for years, I mean, smoking was regarded as a serious sin in many churches. People would find smokers and quote the, you know, go, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing to it? <laughs> Which is true, the verse. But we need to not separate that one out from anything else. Okay? Um, yeah, we're commanded to take good care of our bodies. Um, and just to put this in context, I'm a GP. I do, I do countenance healthy living. But um, just on this level, let, let's not be hypocritical. Uh, most of us engage in, in behaviours or probably don't live a lifestyle of perfect health. Is that fair, to, fair enough to say? Okay, I, I will confess some things to you. Okay, I, yeah, I hope look, I'm going to be very vulnerable here. All right, I hope you're ready. I, yeah, it's being recorded. This might make some of you uncomfortable. There are some days when I don't eat five portions of fruit and veg. I know. I know, that's terrible. I'm not as fit as I should be, athletically. I don't get enough regular exercise. I went on, on my bike last weekend for the first time in a while. After ten minutes, I felt like I was going to die. 
getting slightly better. I went out this weekend and made 12 minutes and <laughs> left. Okay. We mustn't judge by externals. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. And I'll share these things as a, yeah, um, not necessarily as a serious thing, but an actual fact to make us focus on what our true message is and our true values. That, yes, health is important, living is important, but we mustn't get hung up on externals. And the reputation the church has sometimes had is of focusing on those things and focusing on uh, our behavior rather than on our faith. So <laughs> the message is not about not drinking, not smoking, you know, not doing those things. Actual fact, it's about relationship with God, and we enter that relationship by faith. You know that the pinnacle of the Christian life is not defined by not sinning. That's good. Okay, we mustn't take sin, sin lightly. It has consequences. It is destructive. It is destructive. It hurts us. It harms our relationships. But Jesus lived the full Christian life, and sometimes people uh, think that that model is just that he didn't sin. Well, in actual fact, he went way beyond that. Yeah, he didn't sin. That's great. But he proclaimed freedom to the captives. He brought healing to the sick. He proclaimed salvation, and he proclaimed a way to the Father. That's our message. We need to be talking about faith, and the key is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then the other stuff seems less appealing. So we're children of Abraham in that he has shown us a way that we enter that greater relationship. Abraham lived by faith, and because we do that, uh, we are now children of God. Our salvation is not by what we've done, but by who we place our faith in. It's by grace. It's offered freely. In verse 23 of the chapter, it said, It was credited to him, written not alone, but for us. God credits us righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification because our faith enables us to stand in Christ's victory. I love verse 25, he died for our sins and he was raised for our justification because we participate both in the death of Christ but also the resurrection of Christ. Uh, I have the privilege of, of being of heading up the youth team here uh, in church and I was teaching on Easter Sunday. Right? Why do we value the resurrection? Because, out that, because without that, all you've done is die to your sins. You are risen to new life. Hence, when you are baptized, we don't leave you down there. <laughs> we pull you up. <laughs> we're saved by faith, not by ritual, works, or our behavior. We live by faith, and we're empowered to live righteously and powerfully. So how does that bring us peace? Well, first of all, peace with God. And very simply, that is put openly in Romans 5 verse 1. You know that there weren't originally chapter breaks in this thing, yes? Okay. Uh, the Apostle Paul didn't write to the end of 4, verse 20, uh, 25, and then go, right, break there, now completely new train of thought. This follows on. So he's talked about justification by faith. Then verse 5, therefore. Now, a very wise Bible teacher once taught me, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. What is it, what is it referring to? Referring back to the previous chapter, it also neatly summarizes it here before. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
That's neatly summarized the previous bit there. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is remarkable. Sometimes we take this for, for granted. You have peace with God. There is, there's no hostility between you and God anymore. None. It's gone. You are not his enemies. He has made the greatest peace deal of all time on your behalf. Once you were objects of wrath, once you lived in hostility to him, and he has declared a peace over your life now. He has declared a wholeness, a fullness that comes from his grace. And we now have access to his grace, all his goodness through Jesus. Once we were enemies, he's completely turned that around. He calls us friends. We have peace with God. And there is security in this. Peace is inherently given when we know that our salvation depends on Jesus, not ourselves. We know that we are saved by faith. We don't need to worry about our salvation. There is an amazing peace that comes with that. Jesus took care of that. He did it all so that I don't have to. It doesn't depend on my efforts. Anxiety about my salvation is gone. We have peace through Jesus. And you contrast that with the legalistic approach we had earlier. And they didn't drink. And they didn't smoke. That approach which says you have to behave well enough for God to accept you. Just consider the anxiety that causes. (laughs) Constantly worrying. If I mess this up. Of course you'll be worried. Of course you'll have anxiety. Always wondering whether you messing up is going to send you to hell. That's that's a big anxiety driver. (laughs) Constantly on edge, wondering if your behavior is up to scratch, looking over your shoulder. Don't lie. I don't steal. I'm kind to people. I, I look after stray injured cats. Is that enough? Is that enough? And we know it's never enough. On our own efforts, it never is. But we also know it doesn't have to be because Jesus did it all for us. The standard is perfection. And deep down, we all know we miss the mark. So there's constant striving and anxiety. You have to bear in mind, the world lives with this, even if they don't know it, because everyone is always falling short of their own expectations and standards. I've said this before in previous sermon. I, I constantly fall short of the standard of Dave. (laughs) I don't live up to my expectations of what I hope I would be like on a daily basis. God's standards are a lot higher than mine. (laughs) I don't get there. If it was just down to me, that's hugely worrying (laughs) on many levels. (laughs) Salvation by faith takes away that anxiety because I know that I'm saved through the perfect life of Jesus. You can have peace. You know that your salvation is flawless because Jesus is perfect. And Christianity offers this uniquely. Every other religion says that you have to behave a certain way for God to accept you or live a pure life in order to gain enlightenment. That doesn't bring peace. It brings hard work and worry. Us, we we place our faith in a perfect saviour who makes the way for us to know peace. So that's first of all, that's that's peace with God. Secondly, peace through adversity. And 
you know, this, this passage has been taught in this way before, but I still want to cover this area. How, how does our faith operate when things go wrong, when life is hard? Because we have Abraham as our example, and life was hard for him sometimes. Verse 19, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. That's a bad starting point for fathering a nation. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, that's also not a good combination for fathering a nation. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham had it tough at times. Earlier in his life, he'd left Ur, uh, which was a large town where he was probably comfortable and fairly well off. He was settled. He would have been well regarded. And he had probably enjoyed a high standard of living. And then God called him, God called him told him he would father nations, and off he went. And he endured famine, fighting, upheaval, and then he and Sarah couldn't have children. This not only went against the promise that God had given him, but in the culture of the day, it meant he had no heir as well, and that everything that he had built up, his life's work, his possessions, his prestige, his importance, would all be for nothing, because he would have no one to pass that on to. There would be no one to carry on his family line. This was a devastating circumstance to be in for a man in that situation. And he faced up to this. The passage is very clear. He did not deny his circumstances or refuse to admit the facts. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and that Sarah was barren. His faith did not mean that he said that these things weren't true. Because faith is not denial of the facts. That's false. And it's harmful as well. Because people spot that. We can call it another term, that's called lying, all right? <laughs> Very simply, don't do that. <laughs> False faith is going against the facts, is proclaiming that something isn't true even when it's difficult. Yeah, examples. False faith is, is proclaiming that you've got no, no money problems when your bank account is empty. False faith is saying that you're healed when you're still limping. False faith is saying your marriage is fine when you've been living separately for six months. It's just lying to yourself and sometimes to others. We must never deny the facts. But what we can do is exercise true faith, and that's to trust God to come through for us even when the circumstances are against us, even when things do look bleak. And in this we can know peace because our faith in God convinces us that he is greater than our circumstances. Faith is not denying reality, but it is saying actually there is a greater reality that we tap into that God's reality trumps ours. It's not saying that ours isn't real, but it's saying, actual fact, God is above that, God is outside that, God is sovereign over that, God can deal with that. And Abraham faced that, and he was strengthened in his faith, knowing that God could do all that he promised. His faith declared that even though in human terms his situation looked hopeless, he knew nothing was impossible for God. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. It looked hopeless. He didn't deny it looked hopeless, but that was only in human terms, and he knew that there was something greater, and so he had hope. In hope, he believed. He had peace because he knew it didn't depend on him. He couldn't fix his situation. He didn't have IVF at that stage. 
But by faith, he knew that God could. Great quote from Milton Jones, a comedian. You may have seen him on Mock the Week if you watch that. He's a Christian. He's written a great book called Ten Second Sermons. And there's a quote from him which says, Peace is knowing not to be worried by the facts this time. Because if you have faith in God, you trust him to take care of your problems. And if not, you're always worried about how you have to fix them. Again, more anxiety, self-sufficiency. How do I work this out? Stress. And believe me, I'm not against hard work. And I'm not against taking responsibility. Believe that we all do. That's important. But in actual fact, we combine those with the essential ingredient, which is faith. So take the, uh, take the example, say, of money. Say you have no money, you know, the three basic approaches that we've looked at. First of all, without faith in God, you just focus on how you can solve the problem yourself, working extra hard, going without, wondering about how you can bring your own talents to bear. And as as I said, I'll repeat that. I am not against taking responsibility um, or using what God has given us in our natural talents. But that approach, without any faith, it causes anxiety because it's always on your mind as to what you can do. If that's the source of our security, it doesn't last because our resources are finite. Or it is, they're infinite. So that's without faith. False faith. Declaring that you have money in the bank even though you don't. Or over-spiritualizing it. I'm rich in the kingdom. I don't need, the, I don't need material wealth. Only until the, till, till the rent is due and then turns out material wealth is quite handy in that circumstance. <laughs> this denial of the fact creates a ten- facts creates a tension and then in the end a, a crashing disappointment because the facts will hit you at some point true faith you acknowledge you have no money but in faith you seek god and his provision and we know peace peace we know peace through those circumstances we give up our right to our own understanding and you know that it's called the peace that passes understanding, implying we don't always know how it works out, but that God has it covered. God doesn't always give us the right to understand the why, or sometimes even the how, of how he's going to manage that. Faith says we believe that it will. We don't always know the ins and outs there. And just a key on that, in terms of our faith and our peace here. Humility is key. We just put up 1 Peter 5. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's a link here between humbling yourself and getting rid of anxiety. Because pride will stop you drawing on God's resources because it makes you self-sufficient. And then, as I said earlier, you're always just going to be worrying about how you sort out your problems. There's a link between pride and anxiety there because pride is self-reliance, effectively. Pride makes me try and work out how I solve all my problems on my own. Humility draws on God. He gives grace to the humble. He responds to people who throw themselves on him, who acknowledge their need of him. Proverbs 3. Trust in God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We lean on God because we know that he'll take the weight. God is sturdy. 
In adversity, faith and humility bring us peace. Peace through circumstances, and we can know that. And it doesn't, it, what we're never promised, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, is an easy life. You know, we're, we're big into the, in this church, we believe the promises of Scripture. Yes, we claim those. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Does anyone feel like claiming that promise? <laughs> well, yeah, well, we get it. <laughs> he said that because in actual fact, yeah, that's true. In fact, we live both in a fallen world and also we come up against spiritual opposition. But you know the second half of that verse? Take heart, I've overcome the world. You will have trouble, but Jesus says, I've overcome the world. There are bad circumstances, there is adversity, but there is a peace that comes through believing God's promises because we know that he overcomes, and in that, so do we. Finally, peace in our purposes. In the, per- in, in the promises that God has spoken over us, the purposes that he has for our life, of what we feel called to do. Just a brief show of hands. Have any of you had prophetic words or over your life or feel that God has called you to do things? Anyone? Good, it should be most of you. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Have any of them ever seemed scary? All right. <laughs> Why? Well, because I'm guessing that something, sometimes it seems like something big that you don't know how you're going to do. Does that, does that seem fair? Okay. Which is kind of the point, really. God calls us to greater things than we would be able to do normally. Prophetic words can call us on to do greater things. They stimulate us to engage with God in faith. And we need to exercise faith in God to walk in the promises that he gives us. And when we do that, we have peace, knowing that God can achieve through us all that he has spoken. And Abraham had promises from God. He had a word over his life, verse 18, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He had a promise from God. You'll be the father of a nation. That's a big promise. Have any of you had big promises from God? I have. Have any of those, again, sometimes you've looked and gone, ah, ah <laughs> how? How do I do that? You know, someone will bring a word to you. You're going to change a nation. I, I can't change my house. <laughs> and there can be an anxiety that comes with the promises that we're given unless we combine it with faith. And in that, we know that God, he, he outworks his purposes and that the resources for the word that he has given you do not come from yourself. They come from him. God never calls you to do something that he's not going to back you up on. God never calls you to do something uh, that he was then going to just abandon you. And if you have had scary words, I use that term, big words that you think, I can never achieve that. That is great. Because God calls you to do things beyond human effort, beyond human achievement. We're a supernatural people. 
Abraham was fully persuaded that God could do all that he promised. He knew peace in his purpose because he knew that the resources to fulfill that promise, that purpose came from God, not him. And I'm not saying be passive. We work with God. He doesn't override our free will, but neither does he expect us to manage with our own resources because faith pulls down heaven's resources. So, you know, will you achieve God's purpose for your life? It's a question a lot of us grapple with. And the answer just lies in walking with him in faith. The answer lies in tapping into that. And the key to this is actual fact, sometimes we can almost see, see faith as something that we have to do as well. I just need to grow in faith. I need to get more faith. I've got to work harder to get more faith. In actual fact, no, our faith is actually our vision of Jesus and of God. As the value of faith rests in what you place that faith in. I place my faith in this lectern, he says optimistically. I trust that this will bear my weight as I lean on it. Hey? Because I know, because I've done this before. <laughs> I know that it does this. We lean on God because we know that he takes the weight. Our faith has value, our faith has infinite value and has infinite potential because our faith is in Jesus. Uh, I love that song that we were singing earlier, Faithful You Are. In fact, is it right? I'm going to probably ask us to finish with that, Eric. Is that going to be possible? Great, thank you. Um, give you just to give you a couple of minutes notice there. I'm going to wrap up soon. So it's not fatalism. Words spoken over your life don't happen automatically. Okay, God will not override you. God is not obliged to have you fulfill your potential. But also, you fulfilling your potential does not ride on you. It relies on you partnering with God. Okay, the steps along the path to their fulfillment are steps of faith, not human effort. If you put your trust in him and determine in your heart to live by faith, what God can do through you is limitless. Are we fully persuaded that God can do all that he has promised? It's a tricky verse. And maybe a few years ago, I was, <laughs> I'm not sure if I fully believe that. In all honesty, you know, there have been some huge words over my life in the past. But the lessons that actually learning, actually, well, I place my faith in you, and I know that your blessing is there, that your resources are there, that your hand is on my life, and that I am walking hand in hand with you. I am just a child walking, holding my daddy's hand. I am walking faithfully with him who is faithful. He is always faithful. He cannot be untrue to himself. And also, there's the key of being faithful with the small things, and then it grows. I had a word over my life when I was probably 19, that I would shepherd large groups of people. I wasn't doing anything like that at age 19. I went off to university and in the church, and in the end, in that part, I shepherded four people. <laughs> you know, it was a group of four, four teenage lads, David, Zach, Sam, and Ben. And but I was called to that, and I knew that God, actually, fact, is not looking at scale. He's looking at heart. Does that make sense? 
right? God is never impressed by our achievements because he spoke and the world came into being, all right? <laughs> it's not something that you can go, go ah, I made this, and God goes, wow, wow, I could never do that. Of course he could, he made the world. But what God is impressed by is our heart and by our faith and our faithfulness. It says he values our faith more than gold. So sometimes the purpose is it seems like it takes a long time. Abraham's promises took a long time. And he had the promise 25 years before Isaac was born. Sometimes there's a perseverance in that. But it's because God is faithful. And it's that constantly walking step by step, hand in hand with the Father, being faithful with the small things and trusting that God has ever bigger things to you. The kingdom is ever increasing. God's purpose in your life is ever increasing. Even if we fall down, his grace is sufficient. Okay? If you are determined to walk by faith, you, you know, all of us at some point are likely to blow it in some way. <laughs> I'm probably, yeah, daily, thanks. <laughs> You're telling that to me. Or no, no, just you. All right. All of us fall down. That doesn't wreck the promises that God gives over you if you are willing for him to take your hand, help you back up, and for you to keep walking. And we walk more and more in the purposes of God. So, believe that God, his purposes for us as a people are limitless. As a church, the impact that we can have is without measure because we draw on an infinite God. And this is an adventure of faith. Would you come up? I'm just going to pray for a minute and then we're going to just sing that song again because I think it just encapsulates this wonderfully. Would you um, sing this as our declaration tonight of trusting in God? And it speaks of his promises to us. We're going to sing that, and then, in fact, um, we'll sing first, because I think we need to worship first. Then I've got a couple of words just um, I want to bring, just words of knowledge, and just invite, if there's any other people that feel that they've got something particularly prophetic to bring at this point, I'll ask you to bring it after this song as well. But let's stand, let's worship, let's thank God for his faithfulness. We're so grateful. We have peace with God. We have access to the Father. Yeah, let's love him.